0: In this episode, we begin to discuss the science and theory and basic psychology behind reading and assessing body language. As a former intelligence officer, I cannot even begin to explain to you the crucial need to understand and use body language. It's critical not only in situational awareness, but in surveillance detection and looking out for your own safety while traveling or working abroad or just moving around in your everyday life. Body language itself is a big subject with a lot of moving parts and a lot of moving pieces, but I'm going to give you a couple of books you can read on your own, as well as clarify some of the more key points you need to understand if you're going to experiment or learn more about reading body language or using body language to your advantage. One of the biggest challenges I have whenever I'm training interrogators for the DoD or working with other intelligence agencies or other members of the Department of Defense, working on anything that might be considered similar to or exactly like the Gray Man concept or intelligence collection, intelligence analysis, some of these different technologies and techniques that I talk about is getting them to confront and conquer their own bias. It's learning and understanding your own biases that help you not only navigate this world and these concepts and theories, But it's what allows you to truly become objective and a critical thinker making no assumptions or even presumptions until you've gathered the information do the analysis and then continue to look for more information and don't consider any one piece or one assessment as the be all end all the other thing when we look at something like body language and it's no different than when we talked about surveillance detection or any other subject i'll talk about there are two sides to the coin As we're learning things, you have to remember the two things we're looking for. One, we're looking to learn and identify these traits or techniques in other people, whether they're using them on us or not. And also, are we letting people realize that we're using these tips and techniques? How do I hide them? How do I act differently? How do I send a message or redirect the conversation so that they're not aware of what I am doing? This is important because... Coming from espionage, the gray man concept was about collecting intelligence and information from assets and sources and people we recruit commit treason. And the last thing you want them to know is not only who you are, but even if they figure that out, not what you're truly after or what your intentions really are. So part of hiding in plain sight and the biggest part when we talked about the behavior and conduct in the last episode is so people can't figure out your intentions or what you're doing. And this is where body language becomes so crucial. There are several studies out there over the years, most are very legitimate, that use different techniques and standards to determine how much communication is nonverbal, being body language. The overwhelming average comes around 75% of all language is nonverbal. What's very important to understand is not only are we actually taking in information we're not processing, but how much more information we can put conscious effort into determining what's actually going on behind the scenes in this conversation or this behavior. However, you got to go into this not only expecting but accepting that most of the nonverbal behavior is subconscious. We don't realize we're doing it because it's coordinated typically with subconscious thoughts and actions that we're not even aware we're thinking or doing because our brain is so active. The other thing you can't forget when you're analyzing or just trying to read or assess body language is that it's not the only form of communication going on. There's still typically verbal action or verbal communication in most situations. Most people say, yeah, that makes sense. I'm aware of that I'm in the conversation. But when we start taking something new like this and trying to read body language, we put so much effort and focus onto it and we try to determine what something means or what it is really happening that we forget about the other components of the conversation and we lose context of the language that we are trying to read. Another note to make is that body language comes in clusters. It's very rare and almost never happens that one specific action with one body part means one specific thing all the time or even the majority of the time it's almost never the case one of the examples i use quite often when i teach people these classes is i say what's it mean somebody sits there they fold their arms while you're up you're talking pretty much everybody always says well that person's closed off and i get to use that as an example of people's biases and their conditioning to things they're told where they don't put their own effort into learning something because that doesn't mean that it almost never means that If anything, the majority of the time, it means that that person is paying attention to what is happening and listening very intently. Now, it doesn't matter what the reason is they're doing that. That's typically what it means. However, that meaning can change based on the conversation that they're participating in or watching or just what they're doing. There's also other things we have to consider with any type of body language. Number one is environmental concerns. So if somebody's blinking a lot, like too much, and that's actually an indicator of deception if you're aware of what the blink rate is, if they're out in a situation where they should be wearing sunglasses or something's reflecting in their eyes, that's an environmental consideration. That either needs to be at least taken into account or might completely wipe out that body language you're observing as being valid. Other concerns aren't just visual aspects that might be reflecting the eyes, but distractions that are taking people's attention away. There's also just typical hot, cold things of discomfort. Have they been standing too long? Are their hands getting cold? All these little types of things have to be considered. Other factors are also individual and personal habits if you happen to know them or just observe them over time. is If a person has a specific habit and that completely can throw off what that body language means or the environmental factors, what's more important in that situation is to determine how did that habit develop and why did it even have it in the first place? A simple example is there's a guy once knew that always seemed to put his hands in his pocket in a certain way, in a certain behavior, and shift in a certain way. It was very, like, clinical. It was exactly the same all the time. And what I figured out was people in authority that he feared, feared as respected, he did that as an act of submission whenever they approached him or spoke to him. That is what he did. Now, there's a lot of things that, if you saw this whole picture, what it could have meant but it took determining why he had that habit in that specific situation to determine what it really meant for him. Now, why these are all different variables that need to be considered, just go into this realizing that the variables exist so that you don't make assumptions that are incorrect. Another thing, too, is while I may use the word lie on occasion out of familiarity with the people that I teach or I may be talking to, I tend not to use that word because I'm not a huge fan of it. In things like body language and communication, I look for indicators of deception. Deception doesn't mean necessarily that something is a lie, nor does it mean it's a conscious effort. The problem with a lie is it's like truth. It's subjective. There is no one version of it. The best example is to look at anything in politics or religion. There are things people hold to be true to them and therefore everybody else is wrong, and yet the opposing side or opposing ten sides take the same viewpoint on a completely different version, of what they consider to be true. The other thing is it always tends to push people when reading body language into using things to where they narrow it down so much they don't expand their knowledge or learn more and go, oh, that guy's lying. I can tell that guy's lying. Now, there's times when I'm with people when I go, that person's lying, but then I explain it to them because I know how to do that, but I tend not to use that language. So as we continue on, if I do ever say lie, just know that that's something to take with a grain of salt and what it's going to mean when I say deception because I'm going to say deception a lot. In truth, there's no such thing as a lie detector. There's no person that's a lie detector, nor is there a machine that's a lie detector. There's the polygraph machine that's typically called a lie detector that only looks for physiological responses that can be easily beaten with depressants and other things. Sure, there's that, but it's not actually a lie detector. And the biggest fault in that, which is why it's not admissible as court, is because the framing of the questions and how the questions are asked and the systems used for it have almost no reliability not only in intelligence collection, but in identifying deception. That's why it's more of a trap in law enforcement and it actually doesn't work and isn't used for anything. Now, the thing about the clusters, it always coming in clusters is some things you'll read will say too, but there's pretty much always going to be at least three, if not more body movements, whether they're temporary or consistent, coinciding with each other while people are communicating, whether they're communicating verbally or not, those nonverbal actions will exist. It's important to understand this because there are situations where something in this situation, in this description, tends to mean something. And we take it to mean that whether we determine it as good or bad and not realizing that these other two movements that are happening might change the meaning of that and help me out in this situation. Prime example in the last show is I talked about people's feet when they're standing, which tended to be feet or knees when they're sitting. So I want you to imagine you're at a coffee shop, any place like that that's got the small round table that typically only two people Sit at, and one of the people across from you will say the person across from you is a woman who is crossing her legs because she's wearing a past the knee dress, which would be normal in this situation. And she has her arms kind of crossed or folded, but more in her lap. And she's not wearing a sweater. And you're beginning to wonder, is she even paying attention to me? Maybe she's cold. I'm thinking about environmental factors. She doesn't have sleeves. It is a little cool in here. Maybe she's cold. So that could be a fair guess. But then you notice that even though she's kind of got her shoulders towards you sometimes and does look at you, she kind of stares off and you're not sure if that means she's disinterested or if that's how she processes information. But you realize that her feet and knees are pointed in a completely different direction than sending the signal. Her interests are over there or at least getting away from here. I use this example because I not only see it a lot, it's actually one of the more common things when men and women meet for the first time on a date in a situation like this. Now, why there could be a thousand reasons of why this is happening or what's going on in the man or the woman's head just the description i gave you that men tend to react negatively even if they don't realize what they're saying that this person is completely disinterested but what they miss is in this situation again she's got the dress on she's crossing her legs we got the feet and knees pointed in another direction even though she's twisted towards you her arms are kind of crossed and folded but more in her lap but at the same time she is kind of leaning forward a lot and sometimes a little closer and you think, maybe I'm not speaking loud enough. She can't quite hear me. And that's a, that's a fair guess. It really is. And the problem is, is we're looking at all these things individually. And individually, those things seem to make sense. But if we put them all together, it tells somewhat of a different story. In this situation, especially if these two people don't know each other well, or even if they do know each other well, that leaning in is a sign of interest. She is paying attention to you. Now, that doesn't mean she's interested in the person, but she is paying attention to the conversation. The reason I pointed out the wearing of the dress and not the pants is that's actually the more common way you would see a woman sit and position her lower body away from a man. It's just a natural form of modesty and protection. It's nothing significant. And the leaning forward and paying attention in the description I gave kind of negates the I want to exit situation that by itself the feet and needs drew. So using that example, we'll look at a few generalities. Now, granted, There's always clusters, there's other things that could factor in, there's the conversation, the situation, the environment, but we'll give you a few general things to look for when trying to read body language. The first we'll look for is kind of the open or closed appearance. So when somebody's facing you and they're more physically open, their arms are wider and not as closed off or not as much as like wrapping their body like a hug, which is very closed off. Or perhaps, whether it's a man or a woman, their knees are a little more spread apart, they're a little more open, they lean into you. They're squared off to you, their knees, their feet, and their shoulders. They're making that eye contact. Or if they're not looking at your eyes because they're leaned over so much, you see the nonverbal gestures or the nodding or the listening, and then when they're not nodding, they're asking you questions. These are all signs of interest. Put together, it's somebody who's definitely really paying attention to that conversation. Signs of disinterest, which, based on the situation, could be further defined as perhaps fear or a lot of other things, but... Generally, it just starts with disinterest without looking at other factors is how closed off they are to the point that they're almost giving themselves a hug to where they wrap themselves up like kids will do or women in a chair where they'll put their feet and knees in a chair and not only position their feet and knees and lean away from the person, they'll actually turn their whole body and lean their whole body that direction as though they're trying to get away. We'll see more of people with hair covering more of their face or hats lower covering their face, their eyes or more wear of glasses like sunglasses when they're not needed medically or for environmental reasons. People that are more open tend to show more skin in their clothing and I don't mean like in a slutty revealing manner, I just mean that you'll notice a consistency in situations that people who tend to be more open or more closed off predominantly with everybody, they will show more skin like shorts or skirts or short sleeves. Their clothes might not be bright colors, but they'll definitely not be a lot of, like, grays or blacks or dark, moody colors. These would be the people that tend to have legitimate smiles. They tend to be more open. They tend to show their palms when they smile. Those that are closed off, which may or may not be showing disinterest in you, will have the exact opposite. You won't see their palms. You won't see the insides of their body. They tend to wear heavier clothes, longer sleeves, less skin. Kind of the darker colors that would blend into darkness kind of mirrors the way that they feel. Now, this isn't 100% all the time. There's always variables in there and there's things that people do differently, but these are things you can look for that you could say, well, this person is kind of closed off all the time, or perhaps they're just closed off with me right now. But this is a good general starting point to look at because if you identify a person as generally being, say, open, which could translate for that person as other more words that are more descriptive, like vibrant and giggly or whatever, but they tend to be more open to people. You won't necessarily misread that as they're taking an interest in you or in the conversation because that could be an unfair assessment. In the same way, if you realize a person tends to be the type that is displaying a more closed-off action and appearance most of the time, then you won't necessarily see an interaction with them as a reflection on yourself negatively. That's one of the biggest problems we make, especially when it comes to in between genders, regardless of orientation, in between genders, because we communicate and think differently, is we tend to think people do show an interest or don't show an interest. And a lot of it's based on how that person acts. And we're reading it incorrectly and not giving it a fair assessment for what it really is. One thing I want to point out is. You have to be careful with people that teach you this stuff, and more importantly, with the things that you read. Some people write based on their own experiences, their own education, and aren't as honest with themselves, let alone anybody else, about the limitations of their experience or what they're open to learn. The reason I say that is how they phrase things. They phrase things a lot like, this is a lie, which isn't accurate at all. There's no science behind that. Or they give very little description say, well, this means this or generally means this all the time in this situation but you know that this person's a law enforcement professional. If you learn enough about this, you realize that's probably true in that situation in law enforcement, specifically in those types of regions with those ethnicities. Yes, there are things like that that are specific, but to apply to everybody isn't entirely fair. Now, things like that doesn't mean the person shouldn't be listened to. It's just so you need to go into it realizing where they're coming from. I mentioned that because in the show notes, I put a couple of links down there. There are links to Amazon. It's help support the show if you do use those links, but it's at no cost to you, but there's two books there that are the beginning books I recommend to people. One of the books is called Lie Spotting, which is why I just gave that disclaimer, because there really is no such thing, but it is a catchy term, and even I use it, call it the art of lie spotting, but we're, what we're doing is detecting deception. What's good about that book is it's very easy to read, does have a few simple drawings in there to help you out, and it gives you some good general information. It's not too in-depth or difficult. Part of the downside with that book, though, is it tends to lead pretty heavily on this means this all the time type attitude, and it's not necessarily the case. But if you go into it with some objectivity and willingness to learn more and do more of your own research, you will find that book useful and you will be able to see it apply to situations you've been in. So whether you use books or research to go actively look for things, to witness things or participate in them, sometimes you can just think back to conversations you've been in even recently or a long time ago. And be like, oh my God, this happened. This makes sense now. I realize what this means or what I could have done here. And that's part of how this whole process works of understanding that nonverbal communication, how to use it to our advantage. The other book I put in there is called The Definitive Book of Body Language. That is the encyclopedia of body language, as I call it. Now, there's plenty of books out there. Don't get me wrong. A lot of them are great. I have read most of the ones that have been written in the last 25 years that are available, as well as written plenty of my own stuff on the subject. What's great about this book is it breaks things down typically by body part. It gives a great intro in the beginning, really breaks down the theory and science behind it in simple ways. And even though the book's bigger, it's made in a way where you can take a specific subject or body part and focus on that. So being more of a teaching type book, you don't have to read it straight through like a fiction book or a nonfiction story. You just pick something like lower body, upper body, hands, feet, elbows, how people's arms are crossed. What it means when they do this. And, and you can just read those sections, and they might be several pages, it might be a couple pages. If you're anything like me, your book's going to be written with red pen and highlighter and notes in there. And I would just pick something like that, a simple little one where you learn one or two little things, which will require discipline because most people I know that use this book can't put it down. Pick up one or two little things and then give yourself at least two days with that. Start by looking at, say, YouTube videos, political speeches, watch the news, especially when you see people's whole body when they're communicating, especially when they do field interviews, those are good. Political speeches or debates, if it's it's recorded, watch it without the sound. Make notes of things that you're seeing based on the time hacks. The reason you watch it without the sound is so that you can focus just on the body language and you don't have the distractions of the ambient noise or the conversation, because even if you're disciplined, your subconscious mind can still take that and change the meaning. So you either go at it trying to take notes and say, well, I saw this, or you're looking for one or two specific things you learned, either way that you're going to do it. Go back and replay it, look for those time hacks, figure out what's going on in the conversation. Say, oh, I saw this body movement. I looked it up in my book, Definitive Book of Body Language, and I saw when they cross their arms like this, and most people... Like 80% of people put left over right. They put right over the left and they're not left-handed. So that seemed weird. They might be uncomfortable. Then I noticed both their thumbs up are like, look at me. And then you realize by the conversation, they're slightly arrogant. And they're like trying to get you to pay attention to them. And then you begin to understand things like that, which is accurate, by the way. And that is in the book. There's an extensive section just on how people cross their arms and the way their hands and thumbs are positioned because they all mean different things. But that's a great way to learn what this stuff means and to focus your brain on not taking in this Other sensory information that can lead you subconsciously to the wrong conclusion until you really start to master this stuff, which takes a lot of time and a lot of years. What you'll also find is that uh, body language is taught mildly in the sales world, especially with commission based products like cars and uh, not really with real estate, though. And even though that business has kind of changed, there's actually some selling points and selling techniques and things that are accurate. They don't know as much as they think, but those techniques do work. And a lot of it has to do with being open and inviting and more positive, not being closed off. So you got to remember, too, like I talked about in the last show, being open and inviting and sending those positive messages because people tend to remember the negative ones. I don't know if I said this or not, but I can't reinforce enough. Part of doing this is a form of manipulation and not in the negative way we mean It's really what the word means by definition, which is a skillful way of handling people and handling situations and being clever. And it's not semantics. It is completely different. But part of it is, like I said earlier, not letting people know your intentions or what you're really into. So the idea of blending in is your dog could have just died and your mom and your house burned down and you lost everything, but nobody knows. In the same manner, you won $500 million in the lottery. Your dog just had the most beautiful puppies in the world. You know, your kids survived cancer. All these great things happen today, but nobody knows. You might be somewhere and come across people where it's unavoidable or you're targeting them for whatever reason and you get involved in this conversation. They're discussing politics. And they are very passionate, devout believers in political systems and ideas that are about as offensive to you as possibly be, and you're able to participate in that conversation the same way, convincingly as though you're the same type of person and they don't walk away thinking you're fake, you're a liar, or that you're condescending, and that is very difficult. Eventually, you put the time in, you have to challenge yourself into those situations, but it's definitely not something you want to do earlier because you're just going to look fake. Part of hiding in plain sight is being able to behave and act on religious beliefs, whether you believe in religion or not, or what form you do, in order to be convincing. That you have a completely opposing belief to where if you ever told anybody the truth, they wouldn't believe you. Which even the people that are able to learn that and pull it off, sometimes their hard part is being like, well, you know, I don't want to be this fake person or treat people that way. I just tell them, quit looking at them at people and just decide if they're going to be a useful mammal or not. Which might sound funny or might sound crappy to you, but that's the business when you work this stuff as a professional gray man. When you're being paid to do this stuff by an agency, that's kind of the view that you take. Another thing to remember, too, about body language is whether somebody's intending to do an action that body language coincides to doesn't mean that they can control the body language. Remember, I said it was nonverbal. So back in the surveillance detection episode, I talked about pacing, if you remember that, where you see it in the movies a lot, but it actually goes down this way sometimes where a person's walking and somebody's following them to the point they're pacing them. They're almost in step, which is in step like in the military marching. And then as they speed up, that person speeds up and they slow down or stop. The person pacing them, following them stops. And sometimes there's even comedies of it where the person speeds up and slows down a lot or does a dance. And then, you know, it's it's comedy satire, but the person responds to that, it's like they can't control it. And that's exactly what it's like. That pacing is the body language. It's not just the fact that they're walking. They're to the point to where until their brain catches up with what's going on because they've lost focus, their body is reacting to the things around them and they're not controlling it because it's completely nonverbal, but subconscious, and they're giving away their intentions, what they're doing, which is how that pacing thing gets caught. That's how people get found out. Some other things to look at too are people in groups, whether or not they feel they're a part of the group. And this actually can be eye-opening for you. I saw this in the military a lot, and I've seen this in like blue collar worlds, construction sites, this type of thing where a lot of times you see it outdoors, but it's not always outdoors. A group of people standing in a circle, talking, smoking and joking, as we call it in the military. Maybe they're drinking coffee doing whatever, but they kind of start to get in this circle. And you may not always see it, but unless there's like three really close people that are just so close together physically, but once you start to get four more people in the group, essentially with more, you actually see it's it's almost kind of magical how symmetrical sometimes those little circles or ovals get. But the more symmetrical they are with more people, you may see a person that is filling a space in equal proportion to everybody else in that circle, right? But they're actually backed out of the circle a step, even two steps sometimes and kind of turned away. The reason this is eye-opening is because that's a position where a person doesn't feel like they're part of that group. And it can be eye-opening to you, especially in work environments, because you'll find there's a lot of people that act like that, that have been around for a long time. They might even be supervisors, it'd be a very well-liked person. But deep down for some reason, they don't feel like they're part of that group or part of that family. So that's definitely something to look for. It's a good sign that somebody doesn't feel like they belong in that situation or that circumstance or that circle of people. Another misunderstanding too, or misset a lot is that somebody who is lying, as people say, they're uh, not looking at you in the eyes and we always want you to look, you know, look in my eyes. Which is funny to me because whoever came up with that, that's the reason people are taught that. They're taught that if you're not looking in the eyes, you're lying. And so if I tell somebody to look me in the eyes and they... Obviously, they're not lying because they can't do that, as though for some reason it's a superpower. Yet the fact is most people that are deceptive focus on you almost creepily. But even if they're not being creepily, they tend to look at you a lot. Whereas people that are not looking at you, not focused, doesn't mean that they're not lying. And it doesn't mean that they are lying. In fact, it has nothing to do with truth-telling or deception. It has to do with how comfortable they are. The fact that they're uncomfortable, they feel threatened even if it's not physical threats. I don't think physical threat if this is like your kid. They're threatened. They're scared. They're fearful. They're afraid of the consequences. They're afraid of what's going to happen, which is crazy because that makes sense if they actually did do something and they're lying about it. But yet at the same time, what if they had nothing to do with it? It's because they're already convinced that you've made a decision and you're deciding. That's why kids react that way. The parents actually, based on their attitude and everything they're doing, when they're honest with themselves is the case, in these situations, they've already decided But the children act that way because they know the decision has been made and they're reading the body language, even though they can't explain what they're doing. And this happens with adults just as much, but it gets confusing to people because they're like, I don't understand why this person was acting this way. Like people have had these conversations. Why are they doing this? They weren't lying. They didn't do anything wrong and they don't realize it's because of what they were doing to them. But one thing you can look for, I mentioned earlier, was the blink rate. So you can look the numbers up on this, but I'm going to be pretty close within like one or two. The average person blinks about 10 to 20 times a minute. That's pretty normal. Usually it's going to be around 10 or in the teens. And some people will blink a little more. Depends on the environment typically. The other situation is in a conversation, your blink rate will increase probably by about 50%. So that's not really a huge deal. One sign of deception is a rapid increase in blink rate. And some studies show that it can go as high as eight times the normal amount. So you're looking at a minimum of like 80 blinks a second. So... Almost like every 1001 or pretty close to it, like if it even looks like they're going on 1002, it's a good time to start looking for other signs of deception because it might be there. Now, here's the funny part about this. And I agree with the statement that that's a sign of deception that somebody's lying. I agree with that. The problem is by itself, it's really not. It's actually a sign of nervousness primarily that has to do with other factors in the situation, typically with being caught or not knowing how to verbally get out of a situation this is very common. I saw this one time interrogating people when I finally walk them into a corner or just people I knew about just lay enough out there that they don't realize how much I know. then they're, they're full of it. Their blink rate will increase. So even though that's the case, it's a sign of nervousness and all these other factors. It has always been and there's studies that show that it consistently goes to deception and lying. In fact, as much as I hate the term, that's the one time when I use it and be like, oh, you're a liar. You are lying your ass off right now because the problem with it is I may not even know what you're lying about, but I know you're lying about something like it's to that point where it's the person consciously knows it's not a hundred percent, but with the studies behind it, it's almost a guarantee. The person realizes that they're being deceptive and lying. How do you know this or how do you find it out? The biggest thing, especially when talking to them is when they start one to arguing semantics about what words mean. That's when you got them. That's when they're getting defensive and then you definitely have them. That's more for other topics and conversations, but just to throw that out there. If you challenge them on the blink rate, which they cannot control, and it becomes a philosophical or dictionary discussion about what things mean, they're definitely lying. There's no question at that point. That argument is used in intelligence and law enforcement all the time. There's no getting out of it. Now, you want to see a good example of this. I, I use politicians as an example typically to go watch them because they're trained speakers and orders. They have certain types of body language. And then when they're trained to do other things to be orders, They don't realize how much they control some things, but if you know what you're looking for, they give other things away. But I'll occasionally point out specific politicians. So in this situation, especially with Blink Rate, go watch the impeachment of Bill Clinton and some of the questioning. It's a good one to watch when he's sitting there answering questions, like when he's putting his head in his hands and uh, not have the audio on. There's also other politicians that'll come out sometimes They'll do close-ups when they talk about things after they've happened or situations. And you watch that Blink Rate. They're being very deceptive and they know it. And yeah, they probably are lying. However, don't always take things like this as being nefarious. Sometimes, yeah, they're not being truthful, but they're doing it for a reason, whether we agree with it or not. It may not be nefarious in nature. So that's something else to consider. Don't just assume they're a bad person or doing bad things. But these are trustworthy things. The other thing, too, when you look at like <laughs> President Clinton, this is good. He does this all the time in the impeachment hearings. It's awesome. Another thing is the phrase here, no evil, see no evil to the point where people will cover their ears, or they'll actually start to do it where they raise their shoulders up and like, they kind of like, eh, you know, like kids do or whatever, or to the point of where they touch their face and stuff like they're covering their mouth to the point of I'm acting it out right now. So if any of the sounds sound muffled, it's because I'm used to actually teaching the class in front of people, but they, uh, they'll cover their face and to the point where President Clinton did it, where he actually leaned over his sign of being closed off. And he made that little like prayer thing with his hands, but he covered his whole face and then started to get towards his ears. It was to the point of hear no evil, see no evil. It's so obvious. Like when I was learning this stuff, we were all just dying laughing on how bad it was. But the thing with body language though, understand this. So that was very dramatic. When you see this, you go look that up. You're going to see how big it is. Like, oh, that guy's a liar. And he was, but here's the thing. What if he just briefly kind of went up and touched his nose and mouth? Maybe like if he had an itch. Well, that could be normal. I get a scratchy nose. But what happens if it happens more times, more often, or becomes bigger? Or what happens if it's just minor, but it only happens during certain parts of a conversation? Those are what you have to look for, the smaller signals. Because here's the thing. When you watch that thing with President Clinton, it's really big and obvious. When you start to identify clusters and get more into the conversational aspects, you'll see people who will do it more subtly. The thing is, whether it's subtle or it's, overtly glamorous and obvious doesn't make it any more true or false or impactful it just makes it what it is so those are things to understand however big the movement is however over exaggerated it is by itself doesn't make it more intense more trustworthy more accurate than if it's subtle not at all so don't get caught up in that it's very common for people to take the amount of movement to mean something more intense than if somebody made a smaller but same movement when that's not the case. The frequency, yes, the frequency can definitely mean something, but the physical size of it, not so much. There's no evidence or studies that even suggest that, but there's quite a few that go against the idea that the bigger movements actually make it more accurate when it doesn't. So this is enough to get you started. Take a look at those books uh, if you want to buy them. Now, the definitive book of the body language, I think it's around the $27 price range. The last time I looked, the life spotting book's a little bit cheaper. I think it's in the high teens. Um, save them on your shopping list. Look for them in other places too, on eBay. Somebody might have a used one. Re-listen to this as often as you need to, but I gave you a few things to look for in general areas. Ways people are showing interest and disinterest. They're closed office are open. A few things to look for deception. A few things to look for interaction. I definitely talked about things that you'll see more of or less of when people are open or closed. And that's a real good general way to go about it. It's just learning to identify if they're generally open or closed all the time or in this situation with you. And then we got into hear no evil, see no evil, a few other things like that. Look for people to cover things up, open them up. Just having this amount of information can help you in your everyday life. Whenever you interact with a child or your supervisor or your subordinate or the next time you negotiate for a raise or have a job interview, you'll actually see this stuff is constant. It makes sense. People are moving. They're always doing everything. They're always acting and physically doing stuff. So it makes sense that it's always there, but it'll start to click because you'll start to recognize what people are really saying. And the reason this is important as we get deeper into the Gray Man Theory part of it's going to be how to send false body language. There's so much you can't control, but there's so much you can control. And there's techniques for it that we can do to use to send messages to people non-verbally to get them to believe things, make their own presumptions or do things. I've done this many times. And we'll talk more about that in future episodes. Thank you again for listening. If you did like this episode, please like and share. Let people know about this podcast if you think it's something they're going to be interested in. And I do want to give a shout out to Blockade Runner on Twitter who sent me a message about enjoying the body language in the last episode. I was considering one of two shows to do today. And when he sent me that message, I thought, just for you, buddy, I'm going to do the body language one because you showed some interest in it. So that's to let people know out there I am listening. I am paying attention. I have received other messages from people, but if you've got a message, and interest, something you like, something you don't like, something you want to hear more about, definitely shoot me a message on Twitter or Facebook and I will address it in a podcast or in an article or just respond to it on the appropriate social media. Thank you and look forward to seeing you again next time.